Are you self-employed and looking to get a home loan? Do you want to buy a property with your super fund? Or has your mortgage application been knocked back and you need a solution? At Better Mortgage Management, we specialize in solutions for home and investment loan borrowers. With over 50 loan products and 23 years lending experience, we have the flexibility and expertise to help you achieve your property dreams. Call us at 1300 857 275 to discuss how we can help you. This podcast is brought to you by Better Mortgage Management. Welcome to Season 2 of Cancer Culture Podcast. This podcast is not just about cancer. It's about the people whose lives have been profoundly affected by it. Throughout this season, we will hear from individuals who have faced unimaginable challenges from the relentless battles against this disease to the heartbreaking losses, sincere, real stories that need to be heard. Cancer Culture is a place of refuge where we try to provide insight, empathy, and a space for authentic storytelling. This podcast isn't an easy one, and it's definitely not for everyone. It is filled with moments of sadness, reflection, and inspiration, but also highlights profound growth, connection, and hope. I'm Jackie Cowan, and I'm your host. I'm definitely not a medical practitioner, but a normal 27-year-old chick who survived the hardships of cancer. If cancer has touched your life in any way, whether you're a patient, a caregiver, or someone who has experienced the pain of losing a loved one, reach out to me, reach out to our guests, and let us be a source of strength and support for one another. With gratitude in our hearts and a shared commitment to understanding and compassion, Let us honour the incredible individuals who have chosen to share their stories throughout season one and two. Through cancer culture, we can attempt to navigate the complexities of cancer, celebrate the triumphs and stand in solidarity with those who face this disease with unwavering courage. Welcome to season two of Cancer Culture Podcast. Today, we're joined by Jane McKellar. How are you, Jane? Hi, I'm pretty good. You're good? <laughs> yeah. So we're recording. Don't be nervous. I think we're both nervous. <laughs> yeah. Shake it all out. We're shaking it out. We're FaceTiming. <laughs> We've been having a lovely chat. We've been catching up. So nice to see you again. And you too. And we're mutual friends, but we met through my ex-partner, <laughs> Sam. And I remember prior to meeting you, I had just heard the most amazing things. You're going to, yeah, you're just, you're going to hit it off. Jane has been through similar things to you and she's just a fucking exceptional human. We had a fun night together when we first met and we bonded and we were a little bit intoxicated and that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And he was definitely right in terms of you being an incredible person and uh, yeah, I'm excited to tell your story and I'm really glad that you reached out because yeah, I think it needs to be heard. And thank you for helping me tell it. That's okay. <laughs> so can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, where you're based? Yeah. So I live in Lutra Tasmania on the East Coast, kind of about 45 minutes out of Hobart in a tiny little town with like a so tiny there's no shops town called Calavie and we I live here with my partner Eddie and we have heaps and heaps of gardens and grow all our own food and 
go fishing and, yeah and do lots of hiking and kind of outdoory type stuff yep yeah live yeah we're really lucky to live a really beautiful life out here so you're from Victoria right yeah so I grew up in southwestern Victoria in a town called Hamilton kind of a sheep farming a lot of sheep farming area and then moved to Melbourne when I finished school I was there for a little bit then went overseas and then overseas to a whole bunch of different places and ended up in Brisbane for about okay. 10 years and then you and then yeah so since then you went to Tassie in 2019 right yes so moved to Tassie in October 2019 to mm. do a PhD which I didn't get very far into <laughs> what is your background in terms of what did you study? Because you have a lot of, you've got some pretty cool interests from what I've picked up. Yeah. So microbiology is what I'm into or was into. I don't know if I still am. <laughs> so my undergrad <laughs> was in microbiology and immunology at the time when I was studying that because I wanted to become an environmental microbiologist, but there's no actual uni degree for that. So you have to do microbiology and immunology which is pretty much all medical microbiology so it's just all on humans you have to learn all about the immune system and there's one subject in the third year called microbial genomics that was what I want to do so at the time I was like I can't believe I have to learn all this stuff but it ended up coming in really handy because melanoma is a immunological cancer and the treatments are immunotherapy. So, yeah. Yeah. So that actually was pretty handy. And then I did my honours at the Australian Centre for Ecogenomics, mm-hmm. Phylogenomics, and then moved down here where I was doing a PhD at CSIRO mm-hmm. in microalgae microbiomes. Yeah. But I started that in, so I moved down in October 2019, started it in November 2019. But, you know, it's Christmas, don't really do much. And then was diagnosed stage four in January 2020. So I got like two months into it pretty much. Yeah. And then bam. Yeah, Yeah, and then bam. It's funny how it does that, isn't it? I don't know. So pretty much from there, it's just pretty much been all I've done for the last kind of three and a half years. Yeah, wow. I tried to, my supervisor is super lovely and we tried to kind of stick at it, but just got too sick and then COVID hit and they kicked all students out of the lab as well. Yeah, yeah, it's too much going on. Too much. So the primary, I was diagnosed with the primary on my right scapula Mm -hmm. in May 2013 and, but I'd actually had that on me since I was a baby. My parents first noticed it up here when I was a baby, a little brown patch. And they went and got it checked, obviously, and it was always fine. As I grew up, I always got it checked and it was fine. My first memory of it was in primary school and someone kind of teased me about it when I was wearing bathers. Like, oh, what's that on your back? Like, yeah. <laughs> And I just thought I had a birthmark my whole life, literally. And then it started to change and look a bit different. And my boyfriend at the time, Declan, 
noticed it and so went back for another appointment and he's like no it's fine and we were like really because it looks different and then about maybe five months after that I noticed that it felt quite firm patchy thing little smiley thing and so I went to a different guy and he was like Maybe it's an early stage melanoma. Okay, we'll take it out for you. <laughs> and then it was a super, super aggressive nodular melanoma that had grown like all the way through all the layers of my skin. Yeah. <laughs> so the bloodstream into the lymphatics. And is also a rare mutation called NRAS. So the most common mutation with melanoma is BRAF. So there's more treatment options associated with that because it's been studied more. It's more common. My mutation, there's not many treatment options, unfortunately. And it's also thought that it's not caused by UV as well. So it kind of behaves a bit differently. Okay. It was a bit of an unlucky straw. So I had checkups every three months for five years. The first oncologist, he was great. He's like, this isn't the death sentence. Like... Looks bad because if it, there was an 80% chance of it going to stage four within the first couple of years. Yeah. And back then there was no treatment. And so then it was about a prognosis of about a year. So it was just like a lot of waiting and very nerve wracking, but I was good back then to just not let it affect my daily life and just go ahead with everything that I'd normally do. So seven years out. And was like, all right, I like, I got through it. It mustn't be, nothing's going to happen. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I was just ready to get cracking and then felt like a little lump, a subcutaneous lump in my side. And you could see through my skin because my skin's so white that it was black underneath. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The worst time possible to come back. But, I mean, there's never a good time. Absolutely and- not. Yeah, so then PET scan revealed it had spread to my lung, breast, I think left shoulder, a bunch of subcutaneous mets kind of all over the spot. Mm. So at that stage, it's, yeah, stage four with distant metastases. So for NRAS, that's about a 9% five-year survival. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah. But I was that's... like three and a half years in. Yeah considering you thought you'd come all this way and as you said it does whatever it wants when it wants and then to find out that is massive yeah yeah Mm. it's a big blow because you I feel like well I mean you're always you're hoping it doesn't go to stage four and like that's the thing that you dread but then when you stage four there's you're hoping that it doesn't spread to your brain or there's always kind of kind of level different levels of it but yeah I was really lucky at the time because Eddie and I had started seeing each other in December so we hadn't really even been together that long yeah we'd probably only been together like a couple of months or a month before I got the news that I had cancer in my lung and everything and he yeah was just there by my side the whole time from the beginning yeah. so wow yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty interesting journey as well for the two of you, which I'd like to talk about later on. But in the last three years, what has your treatment process looked like? 
Oh yeah. So straight away for the first diagnosis, I went on a clinical trial called Charlie trial. So there's only one treatment for NRAS and that is the double immunotherapy of ipimumab and nivolumab. So these are monoclonal antibodies that work on your immune system, training it to attack the cancer. So the ipimumab is an anti-CTLA4 monoclonal antibody. So you've got like these little like protein receptors that like sit on your T cells and they stop them from going too crazy and proliferating too much. And then the NIVO that you do at the same time is it is called an anti-PDL1. And so on within the tumor microenvironment, there's these like PDL1 antigens that kind of mask the cancer mm-hmm. so your immune system can see it. And so this other drug like attaches to these ligands and so that your immune system can see it. So at the same time, you've got your immune system going off charts and the cancer tumors are hopefully being exposed. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, I did that and it was good. It worked. I got a really slow, really slowly for me though. I got NED at 25 months and you do the treatment for two years. So I had one tumor left when I stopped the treatment and it went, mm. it was gone at the PET scan a month later, but it lasted three months. So it only had clear scans for three months before it had come back again. Okay. And so that relapse was about this time last year, actually. Yeah. And so then they put me straight back on the NIVO because at that time you can't, you, the IPI is super, super toxic. So most people can only do it once in their life. And they put me on the NIVO, but it wasn't working. And every scan I was getting more tumours. So the cancer was progressing continually throughout last year. Yeah. Then they kicked me off the NIVO and told me there was nothing more that they could do for me here in Tassie. Wow. And so then we started searching on the mainland Peter Mack told me there was nothing they can do once it's failed immunotherapy, but there's some clinical trials on NRAS at the moment, but they only kind of offer you a couple of months of stability in the cancer and you have to move away from home and it's really toxic and live there and stuff. Yeah. And there was the same with the Melanoma Institute. And then I went to the Alfred and had a chat with a guy, Professor Mark Shackleton, he's one of the melanoma experts, and about a clinical trial. And I kind of told him my story and he folded up his clinical trial book. He's, you're redoing the Ipi Nivo. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like on the cards. It's like hoping it was on the cards. It kind of been mentioned because I did it on a clinical trial last time which meant that it was hidden from PBS. So this was where it gets all complicated with all the like bureaucratic medical stuff. So because it had been hidden from PBS, I could get it again on PBS for free. And also because all of the side effects I had last time somehow really luckily didn't exempt me from doing it again, which is what happens to most people. So I was allowed to do it again. And so I was do this bullet again. Came back and like preparing my microbiome. I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. And 
Yeah, so I got through all four of those again, two four doubles, and did the PET scan and had a mixed response. So some tumors have completely gone, but unfortunately I've got two that seem to be resistant. So you kind of only, with metastatic disease like this, you kind of only as safe as your worst tumor. So now we're in the process of trying to figure out the next step. At the moment, I've been hit with colitis. So I've been on high dose steroids and tapering down from those. For our listeners that are unfamiliar with what that feels like being on those (laughs) steroids, could you elaborate on that if that's okay? Yeah. Well, when you've also got like so much stress in trauma going on and then you're on high dose steroids, it's like, I don't know, it's like having extreme like PMD, like 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it has really strong effects on the mood, like it's difficult sleeping. Really, I find my mind just races really erratically. It's kind of the, it's the exact opposite of what you need in this situation. Yeah, 100%. And then also being stuck. And so a bit with colitis, there's, I've had to, can't really be eating any of the normal food that I eat, which is a lot of fiber and vegetables. So and anxiety about eating all the junk food and white bread and sweet biscuits. <laughs> You're going to do that sometimes. Yeah. And so now I'm yeah trying really hard to get the steroids down so I can go back on this Nivo because we know if I'm off it for just three months, cancer's probably going to come back. I'm already off it six weeks. Yeah. Got a fair bit of tapering to do. And at the same time, probably going to have to fit in a colonoscopy in there. And they've booked me in for a surgery to remove these resistant tumors on the mm-hmm. 29th okay and so seems like that is what we're doing and then it'll be another watch and wait to the next pet scan to see what happens yeah how are you feeling about it all uh it's a challenge it's a very big mental health challenge the yeah the relapse has definitely taken its toll yeah it's like the second time around is much harder. <laughs> Lots of days of tears and crying. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Like I get angry and crabby and need to be pulled into the line a bit sometimes. Yeah. You're facing yeah. the biggest challenge in your entire life. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I find the, yeah, the waiting and the uncertainty is like, cause now, would the statistics your prognosis for statistics always change it's yeah. like the changes so like uh, I had a nine percent chance of being alive in 2025 but then failed immunotherapy which gave me a zero percent chance but then redid immunotherapy and then I'm like oh I've got a chance again I'm trying not to focus too much on on those statistics at the moment (laughs) I can't even imagine to begin what you're thinking I think people who haven't been through this or people who haven't had a relationship with someone who's been through a cancer diagnosis I don't think they understand that waiting game and the extent of it and how no matter how strong you are no matter how much strength you have no matter how much resilience you have you can't fucking help but 
go to those places and go to those spaces and think about it, especially when statistics are thrown in the mix. Yeah, it just grinds you down. That's Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of like we were talking about, yeah, before you're like, I got this. And then, oh, he's just a little bit more meds. I have a few more tumors. Oh, let's just not have that treatment work on those ones. Or enough. You break, break in a little bit, like break in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're down incredibly low. All right, here's another thing that'll just yeah. make that worse. Yeah. But I have started seeing a psych who specializes in people with life-limiting illnesses. Okay. And yeah, she's been really helpful so far. So Okay. Friendly being Yeah. It's something that obviously this podcast focuses a lot on is the mental health side of things and having to go through that. And I th- I think that's great that you're talking to somebody. Where do you what do you do? Where do you go? How do you yeah, deal with the time yeah. that you obviously have to spend between each appointment and it, there are coping mechanisms obviously and that's something that I like to highlight but it's this is the reality of what that looks like for you because that's the thing as well I've been noticing is well pretty much since this last pet scan I'm finding out it's like okay well this isn't going to give me the response that I wanted so we need to somehow keep me alive until this next thing comes which is tumor infiltrating lymphocytes which is in trials in america and europe and israel so that has promise for nras but you know it's like okay there's the carrot dangling somewhere off in the distance and i'm just gonna stay alive till i can reach that carrot yeah (laughs) so yeah it's a lot of stress for me and eddie and my family yeah 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 where are your family are they based in victoria still yeah they're in geelong my mom and dad are in geelong yeah, yeah. love the afl mom's a big cat man <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cats I live in the they're in the <laughs> yeah because yeah, we were talking about country footy the other day <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to I want to ask you a pretty serious question though because and I mean this in the nicest way possible but and I'm not pro I'm not sure if I'm wording this in the right way but is it really scaring having those statistics put in front of you and knowing that something could happen you don't know what could happen but something really drastic could happen is that absolutely terrifying yeah it's totally terrifying like I have to Dude, I have so many systems in place to try and keep my mind busy from not going down that rabbit hole. Because, yeah, it's awful. Like when I've joined a lot of support groups for melanoma, like online. So it'd be like the European one, the American one, like the Australian one, and you meet other people and become friends with them. And since my first stage four diagnosis at the start of 2020, all of my NRAS friends, the last one died last year. And so you can't help but think, well, now is that, or am I next? Because you see that things don't work out that well for most people with yeah. NRAS. So yeah, try to just kind of not let it affect my day-to-day activities, so to speak. And yeah, at the advice of my last psych, so Eddie and I kind of, we sit down at night and then we pick one nice fun thing that we're going to do in the morning 
And so doing that fun thing early in the morning gets my headspace kind of in the right direction for the day. Yeah. Whereas otherwise at the moment, I might just end up thinking about it too much, going down a wormhole of literature, reading too many research papers, crying on the couch for two days. <laughs> so put in, this is where the psych comes in really handy because that's something that's so simple that I wouldn't have thought of doing. What does your day-to-day look like? Because from what I've seen on the internet, it looks pretty groovy. There's lots of plants, there's lots of veggies, there's a fair bit of exploring when you feel up to it. Yeah, but pretty much. Yeah, we've got like the ideal life, I think. (laughs) We're very lucky. Most of, at the moment, I've probably got to go into Hobart like three or four days a week for cancer stuff. But then all the rest of the time around that, we're outside in the garden, pottering around, building something, like making a garden bed, preparing soil for our tomatoes. Yeah, it's doing really nice things, just active outside. It's just so good for you. Yeah. It's trying to kind of flip-flop back and forth between going, like going out and planting something and then my brain becoming really negative about it and being like I probably won't even get to eat whatever it is <laughs> another day I'm like oh I'm definitely gonna I can't wait to see this grow and yeah, it's like pretty like extreme yeah yeah, yeah the roller coaster yeah yeah do you yeah. think that having your knowledge on the body and oh microbiology and immunology yes yeah excuse me I'm not very good with big (laughs) words I feel like I'm talking like kind of funny like yeah I'm on steroids and so brain fogged so I'm probably going around having that knowledge of that do you think that has I guess knowing what you know and knowing more than the average person do you think that maybe doesn't help with your headspace sometimes I think it's a bit of both. It definitely both. helps me feel like I've got some sense of control over my situation. So mm-hmm. I can understand quite deeply a lot of the time what's going on and have quite much deeper conversations with oncologists or melanoma specialists and when I've had the chance to try and understand certain aspects of how the cancer might progress and metastasize and things like that. As well as like I froth on microbiomes and so as with immunotherapy now it's become pretty common knowledge that your microbiome modulates your immune system. So there's a certain type of microbiome that is associated with a positive response to immunotherapy. So I get my microbiome sequence, which is actually at the lab where I did my honours <laughs> and then I like tweak my microbiome to make sure I'm like got these specific ones to support this t-cell function and blah 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 blah. and I feel like that all really helps as well but then at the same time my oncologist says people who understand like patients who understand a lot about their own cancer tend to have a lot more psychological distress because they understand the you can't hide from the realities of it like yeah you don't have all ignorance is bliss kind of thing there's good and bad to it, I guess. But The reason why I ask that is it's more, yeah, I guess for people listening, because I know that all kinds of people have been listening based on feedback, people who have 
best friends who've been diagnosed, people who are currently going through a diagnosis, people have come out on the other side. So I guess you have one extreme, for example, me who was 17 when I was ill and didn't couldn't give a rat's ass, didn't want to know anything. I just wanted to be 17. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to party and date boys and explore and live my life. Whereas you've got on, and sometimes don't get me wrong. Sometimes I am. I wish I knew more. I wish I knew more throughout that time, or I wish I listened more or I paid more attention, but I obviously didn't. Yeah. I was happy to know anything. (laughs) Yeah. I was, yeah, I didn't know. Anyways, then you have the other extreme like yourself and you're just yeah just by chance you're quite educated on this matter and have an interest yeah sometimes I'm like I'm so glad I got an immunological cancer as opposed to I don't know hormone type cancer or something but yeah then you have people who have they want to know but they have no idea so really strap in and dedicate themselves to finding out more no you just got to do what Mm. you just got to do what you can do but also know when you're going too far (laughs) i need to take breaks from the literature and and take steps back and focus on other things when it's getting a bit overwhelming which sometimes i'm not too good at noticing myself yeah Yeah. just continue down that yeah, that yeah. rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> In terms of being the your second cancer journey, did your life dramatically change? When we first met, we were different people to what we are now. You more so than I. Not that it's a competition at all, but you had a better time than I did. I won three totally. <laughs> Competition. <laughs> <laughs> Can you let us know about what your life was like yeah. before you found out you were sick again? So when, well, I moved down here in, I moved down here because I was putting on a festival called Dark Days. So I coincided my move down here with that. And yeah, so I was very social, playing in bands, out a lot. I was kind of, I didn't like wasting any of the night with sleeping, but I didn't like wasting any of the day with sleeping. So I was doing something. <laughs> we, don't, we, can't, we don't like sleeping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do now. <laughs> I love it now. But, yeah, now, yeah, now I'm like... Oh, well, because I was explaining before about the ipimulumab, the CTLA4 monoclonal antibody. So you've got like that protein on your T cells, but some people also have it on their pituitary. And so I'm one of the people that had it on my pituitary. So the first time I did that drug combo, my immune system destroyed a bunch of cells in my pituitary. And so your pituitary is your master blend of your endocrine system. So now basically a massive chunk of my endocrine doesn't work anymore, which caused me a bit of problems here and there and it's been a lot to adapt to. So my adrenal glands don't get a signal to and don't make cortisol. My thyroid's gone, but that doesn't matter too much. And I've got a lot of problems with my gonadal axis, those axes as well. And so the medication I take for 
the adrenal insufficiency caused by the, yeah, my immune system attacking the pituitary means that I kind of am out of energy by about 6, 7 p.m. at night. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's kind of hard to explain. I'm having trouble explaining it. But it's okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I have to take steroids to stay alive now, so I'm steroid dependent. Okay. Yeah, about just a small dose, like five milligrams a day of prednisolone. And I don't take prednisolone because it has effects on suppressing the immune system. So I take another type of drug called cortisone acetate that lasts about eight hours. Yeah. And I take that twice a day. So it's, yeah, it runs out by kind of the end of the day and I'm ready for bed pretty much. So yeah, yeah my and the energy that I have is limited by this illness, I guess. Yeah. So now <laughs> sleep is 100% necessary. Yeah. That was my point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's okay. <laughs> so I guess what we were saying before was life was very different to what it is now. Yeah. For those of you that are listening, Jane is a very impressive woman, very iconic <laughs> in the punk scene in Brisbane. Jane's not giving themselves <laughs> enough credit there. Um, but yeah, the first time you went through cancer, that also changes how you live your life. I feel many people either wrap themselves up in bubble wrap or I don't know, for me, it was just not. Nah, I am living as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And I guess that was different for me because it was like I was young. So my definition of living has changed drastically in the last 10 years in terms of you know <laughs> what you can get out of xyz so yeah totally i guess the primary diagnosis i was yeah i'm living like what do i actually want to do with my life where it gave me a different perspective knowing that maybe you don't have that much time so i deprioritized things prioritized things and lived harder yeah <laughs> time. and then but with the stage 4 uh, it was more like, okay, I know how serious this is yep. now. It's time to just to focus on health and be 100% fo- serious about this and focused yep. on this and get through this and then, yeah, take the next step. And I, my mental health was still, I mean, <clears throat> obviously you have good days and bad days, but from the first stage four, I feel like I just completely sailed through that compared to this relapse mentally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that yeah. could change too. Because it's still so fresh and I'm still on high dose steroids. So I'm like, yeah. it grinds you down. It's just like having, feeling like you don't really have much choice about what you can do, I guess. Yeah. And then try to do nice things that you can do in amongst everything. Yeah. A lot of grief as well. Yeah. Which is always a bit hard to process. For sure. Doesn't help that I think like social media is so fantastic in terms of, especially like you and I living in a smaller town, we can connect with our loved ones around the country and around the world, but it's also at the same time can be really hard because you're seeing other people living their lives and you can have moments of why me, why did this happen and why is this happening? Yeah, I had I'd removed social media apps from my phone 
recently at the awesome I think it was when I yeah I got the PET scan of the resistant tumors and then I like got on Instagram and friends having babies another friend finishing her PhD I was meant to finish mine this year and there was something else that happened and there were all things that I like wanted to do and can't do anymore and it just really yeah sent me down, down into a dark place for a while so I thought I'll just remove the social media for a bit and have a breather right now I'm just super anxious that I'm going to be allowed immunotherapy again okay because I tried to tape it down on the steroids and the colitis came back so they put me back up that's a bad sign it could be higher stage colitis so I've got to do another test on Monday and potentially do a colonoscopy if it is a stage three or four then they can tell me that they can withhold the nivo forever so I won't be allowed any immunotherapy ever again that's a possibility okay and that's the only thing that I have to try and keep me alive (laughs) so yeah super anxious about that but yeah hopefully it's grade two or below and then okay I can get back on it before the three months is up so we know my cancer is probably going to come back and I'm off this for three months so I've got like about six weeks to do all of that somehow I'll get back on it yeah (laughs) that's the pressure I'm putting on myself as well but yeah (laughs) yeah you mentioned the mainland before but where does all of this happen now so are you in Hobart Hobart yep and so you're 45 minutes out of Hobart yeah yeah so I I'm really lucky that I ended up with the best oncologist in Hobart or through public health. I haven't paid a cent for anything. It's good. And everyone is lovely and amazing. I've had the best experience in healthcare. Yeah. That's awesome. Really incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Even with this surgery, like they had the consult last week and then they booked me in two weeks. So on the 29th, they're like, this is urgent. We'll get you straight yeah, and everyone's like validates your experience as well, like in really nice ways. Like, you know, oh, you, this is really complex. You've been through the ringer, so let's try and make this easier for you. It's nice that the whole healthcare system that I've experienced has been like that. Yeah, and that's really good that you have people on that level that can acknowledge that, and also because you have been through the fucking ringer. Yeah, been through a lot. So, yeah, and I think that's really special. And that's kind of the same that I had in terms of having a good relationship with the nurses and doctors and oncologists and them genuinely caring. Yeah. Yeah. And acknowledging that. I've heard horror stories of people's experiences. Mm. I mean, it's hard enough as it is without having a supportive team. I guess for me, the main thing is just trying not to let the diagnosis on the way that I'm feeling, like physically get in the way of my everyday activities. I think that's a really big one because when it gets in the way of your everyday activities, then you start to feel like that there's not really, you know, what's the point kind of yeah. thing. Yep. And so that's why I'm making, yeah, just a couple of, when everything's much worse and, I'm feeling much sicker just trying to 
even just do two nice things that you enjoy a day. And then I also focus on staying really fit, which is also a reason why I was allowed to have this treatment again as well. Okay. So that's a big one. We, I mean, we all know how good exercise is for you and how yeah. it can reduce severity of side effects. So I stick to the recommended guidelines, a couple of weight sessions a week and about 120, 150 minutes of aerobic exercise. Stick to my healthy diet, make sure I'm getting enough sleep. And the fourth thing that I focus on is mind, which was kind of something I never had to work on. I was like, if I exercised and ate right and slept right, my mind was always good. But now my mind is playing up <laughs> and so I'm doing less exercise not eating as well not sleeping as well so now I'm having to focus on the mind to get back into the rhythm of it all again yeah what does that look like in terms of looking after your mind it's it's just some of the little things that they well I had to outsource it I guess by seeing the site and telling her my story and then her telling me things that I could do that could help yeah Eddie's also a big part of it it's always there for me and just somehow always manages to say the right thing or get me outside if I'm feeling too down and exercise as well like no matter how bad I feel I always make sure I go do some exercise yep and that helps. yeah it's pretty phenomenal hey getting cold water freezing cold <laughs> so cold oh my god <laughs> it says yeah, the, at the moment it's ice yeah which is apparently yeah. really good for you. It is, yeah. <laughs> I had radiation recently and got radiation burns and couldn't wear a wetsuit and then had the colitis, so I haven't been in the water for a bit. God damn. Hoping to get back to it soon. What did you have? Where was the radiation? The radiation was on a tumour in my thigh. So this is the, mm. like, this is the problem tumour that, I actually walked into a wheelbarrow and got a bruise in my leg. And then when the bruise dissipated, a lump grew from where the bruise was. And wow. I thought it was a thing that I've had before <clears throat> where I got a bruise and it calcified and grew like a pearl that I had to get surgically removed. So I just thought it was that. But then I showed my oncologist, she's like, oh, we better get that biopsy. And it was melanoma. Wow. And so melanoma can do like this tricky little thing called inflammatory oncotaxis. So you can have dormant cells like up in your brain and it can travel. If it like gets a signal from something, it can travel through your body to take up residence in another area. So gross. I hate it. <laughs> and it like apparently like has, is a thing that can happen if you get pregnant. Apparently yeah. they can travel. Fuck so, off, please. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a horror movie. It's like alien or something. It's just ah. disgusting. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if it was that or if I've just, because I've got obviously heaps of circulating tumor cells in my blood. If all those tumor cells pulled in the bruise and there's no immune environment in the bruise, so they're mm. able to grow. And this tumor is a bit of a devil tumor because we've tried to surgically remove it. It grew back. It's seeded along the biopsy line for the fine needle aspiration. So it, it spread it out. So it keeps longer now. And we've got radiation on it and the radiation didn't work either. 
immunotherapy hasn't worked. And yeah, so this surgery they've booked me in for is they're going to like just take a big, massive chunk out of the whole thing and just try and clear the whole thing, get rid of it. Okay. Yeah. It's yep. also painful as well. Yeah. Sounds horrendous. <laughs> what a little turds. I know. I could call them yeah. many other things, but I will refrain. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm just like, I'm reading about all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. How cool. And then I'm like, oh, hang on, this is in my body. It's hey, very cool. This is not very cool at all. <laughs> but I see my oncologist on the 26th to know for sure if that surgery is going ahead. It'll depend on what's going on with the colitis, like when I have to have colonoscopy or if I do. And also, I think maybe the, there might be an idea of doing radiation on it again. But this is one of the hardest things about like this situation with cancer, I think, is all the really complex medical decisions because there's not really any right or wrong answer a lot of the time and you're just trying to make a decision that's going to help increase your life expectancy but, you know, you don't really know which way it's going to go. Yeah, and we put a lot of trust into the people that are saving our life. You don't have a lot of time to think about these massive decisions and this person, this magical saint just pops up from somewhere. As you said, you're you're pretty lucky that you're with the best oncologist in public health in Hobart. Like, that's yeah. unreal. You know what I mean? And then your whole life yeah. flips upside down on top of the diagnosis, yada, yada. Yeah. And they just do what they can. And it's, yeah, like, it's, help it's tricky. Help me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like this week, my case, yeah, like my oncologist, she puts my case to the melanoma board pretty regularly, I think. And so, because now I've got a few added complexities. She's um, yeah. been up to the case this week. And so and that's all the greatest minds in melanoma in Australia. Wow. Discussing it, trying to figure out what to do next. So, yeah, like, I feel incredibly lucky and so grateful week by week is dependent on appointments who you can see if they can see you what's going on what surgery is happening so as you said before was it maybe four days a week yeah at the moment yeah That's yeah mind-boggling that is four days of your week that you are in and out of a hospital or doing something related to this yeah yeah, it's draining. That's, that's not much time for anything else, really. Yeah. <laughs> How has this time been for your family? Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. I've got really supportive parents and two brothers. And so, yeah, my yeah, my parents are amazing. I'm really lucky in that aspect too. So I have really good support around me. When I was, yeah, first diagnosed stage four, I think it was probably pretty hard on them because... That's when COVID hit and so no one could come to Tassie. So the whole time that I was in treatment and really sick, they couldn't come and visit or anything like that. I think there's a lot of people in that situation <laughs> over COVID. Yeah, but it was dreadful, like yeah. on, on top of everything else that happened. Yeah, it was tough. <clears throat> the good part was that we were in Tassie where there was no COVID. We were still, and there was no tourists here. So we were going out doing like, these nice hikes and stuff like that with no people around. Perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's your partner going? Yeah, he's good. Like, he's, obviously, it's really hard on him as well. And I think like the partners kind of get swept under the rug 
in this whole experience yet it's just as hard for them as like mentally is for me just in a totally different way yeah yeah so I think when I'm like struggling having really sad days I, I know that makes it harder for him as well but He's a good he's a good one. He's a good egg. <laughs> we love good eggs. He works from home. Okay, yep. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a little office here. Cool. We can go outside and do something in the morning. He goes to work. I'll go to the gym or do my exercise or whatever, and then go to my appointments and yep. and come back and go outside and do some gardening or whatever and do a big cook up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. A beautiful little life. <laughs> we'll probably wrap things up shortly before we do so. For people that are currently going through a diagnosis or might have a family member or friend that has been diagnosed with melanoma, is there anything that you can recommend in terms of spaces or places or people that they could refer to? I guess if you're wanting to find people who are in similar situations to you. There's a really good support group called Melanoma Patients Australia, I think. You can just join that on Facebook and introduce yourself in there and everyone's super lovely. And there's also really good resources in there. So the research for what you can do to support your immunotherapy as well is constantly evolving and I mean, at the moment, it's recommended about 50 grams of fiber a day is going to help improve your survival outcomes. So, wow. yeah, you can find a research like that in groups like that, as opposed to if you're feeling lost searching through the internet, things like that are a bit easier. And there's also like a lot of videos from conferences and stuff like that. If you connect with people going through a similar experience, it can help guide you through some of the hard times. But then you also need to know when to step away when like you've made friends with people and things aren't going so well for them as well. Yeah. It's definitely, it's a big change, like a very different lifestyle to mm. what I used to live. Like just, yeah, prioritising health doesn't really, especially in a pandemic, <laughs> it doesn't leave much space for like even going out for dinners and things like that it'll be super isolating I think I can't imagine not having the internet and having cancer is there anything that you would like to highlight from your journey when I was reading through your form I know you mentioned that you don't remember really these questions yeah but my brain was so intense I cannot even remember you said it's probably not that different and I was like dude yes it is. you should be very proud of yourself <laughs> yeah that's funny because that's actually what I was thinking I really try and put emphasis on people getting their skin checked and following their intuition and it's kind of hard to navigate especially if you've been through cancer before whether you're overthinking something or if something's actually problematic I had a lump in my tummy for ages and I thought it was something. And my oncologist, who I'm pretty close with, he was like, that's a poo. And just shit like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> why is it there sometimes? And then it's completely. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we go to 
though. It's so traumatic though. It's like, because you're like, I've got to catch it early. Like if it comes back, see, as soon as you feel like something that triggers your mind that's slightly similar, you're like right down that rabbit hole again. Straight down there. <laughs> putting, putting emphasis on getting first and second opinions and third opinions. Definitely getting anything checked. I mean, sometimes they mightn't have any of the signs so might fall under the rug mm. but we still need to go get it checked <laughs> but like sunburns before the age of 12 are the ones that are more likely to cause melanoma the really aggressive ones in people in their late 20s early 30s so that's something interesting for parents i think i've also been told maybe this is just for me having a melanoma already but never ever do the whole let's just leave that in you for six months and just watch it and see if it changes if it looks a bit weird just get it out yeah pretty insane like the amount of people that i even when i lived in cairns the amount of people my age who had never ever had their skin checked it is incredibly important yeah it's very real and super aggressive and happens so quickly in a lot of people in the medical system the period of time from when you make your appointment it might take a month to get the appointment then it might take another month to get it removed and then so the time adds up things can dramatically change really quickly yeah, yeah. i wanted to end this on yeah yes hi yes. No, <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you're incredibly proud of throughout this journey because it's been a big one thus far. You've accomplished a lot. I think that what I'm proud of is I sometimes I feel like I'm one of those little floating toys or something and floating on the surface of the water and every knock like pushes me under the water but somehow I always manage to float back up to the top. <laughs> so I feel I feel like proud of that in in the sense of managing to maintain my fitness, even improving in some aspects, even though I've got I don't know, quite chronically ill now and stuff. But yeah, I guess just getting back up when I get knocked down. Yep. <laughs> I could cue a song then. <laughs> and we can we can end phase out the song at the end. No. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of you too because it's yeah it's not easy no it's really hard <laughs> this next little period will work in my favor I'll, I'll, my favor and on to the next bit yeah baby steps yeah. and take as you can and take on what you can yeah yeah it's a lot of, a lot of learning that you got to do about yourself absolutely is there anything that we can do for you, like that I can do to help you within this journey? And is there anything that our listeners can do to help you? I think just when it comes to cancer patients in general, people just get weird about it. It's not really that hard to just validate someone's experience and like not, yeah. I mean, I don't want to tell people how to re react to cancer patients or people who've been diagnosed, but I think that, there's definitely better ways and worse ways that you can go about it. Ignoring people or dropping off the face of the planet or whatever is, is probably not the right thing to do. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just like simple validation, I think it's really good. Absolutely. We were talking about it before we started recording, but everyone's different. Some people don't know how to deal with a friend or family member being diagnosed. Other people just can't. Yeah. And there are many easy ways to make someone feel validated. Even if you don't know what to say, like just by being present or letting somebody know that you are there and you don't know what to say is better than not saying anything at all. See, there's that articulation I was telling you about. What? (laughs) 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 You've got a fair bit to go through and the surgery and checkups. What would you like to do after that? Like it gives me kind of, for some reason, it gives me almost just as much anxiety thinking about if I get some time where the cancer isn't hectic. Yeah. Because I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've bought a domain name and kind of <laughs> planning to set up a business. Cool. <laughs> I'm certified in, in analyzing lab analyses of soil. Yeah. That's what I'm going to call it. Dr. Worms, Soil Biology Lab. (laughs) 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 That might be something I do. Uh, And, yeah, I don't know. We've got so much space here, like maybe set up a little nursery in our hothouses. Cool. Yeah, I want to go over, like, my cycles in January, she's got to do something. Like you can, you've got this diagnosis, but you can't stop living. Make plans. Cause I'm like, there's no point making plans. Something always happens and cancels. And so I was, came away from that appointment, booking a holiday to go swim with the whale sharks. Cool. Uh, but yeah, then something happens. Awesome. But probably next year now, cause I think they finish in June. Yeah. I don't know what the season is. I swam, I swam with the whale sharks. That was my make a wish. Oh, did you? Yeah, because wow, I was, yeah. which was awesome. So yeah, that would be great. Lots of little exciting things happening. Yeah. <laughs> and then, because I think it's going to be this. He reckons I won't be able to exercise or do anything for about six weeks because the surgery is going to be over the radiation, so the skin's still all red and it's going to be having trouble to heal. So I want that little papa. I want to get it before the surgery so I can have something to like just do get me out of bed and go on a gentle walk outside and stuff. Yeah. I feel like maybe it's going to be tough mentally being. Yeah. Get that dog. Yeah. But we were, so we were planning to get one for a while and then they these ones came up. And at first we were like, this is really bad timing. But then I was maybe it's actually really good timing. Oh, <laughs> oh they're like the fluffiest, cuddliest little things. They're so oh. cute. <laughs> yeah, I can actually pick it up next weekend. I think that's so important to have that. And you can give to that beautiful little creature and look after it yeah. and nurture it. And yeah. And it's still like a little pup. So it wants to sleep a lot. We can... Watch shows and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for you. 